Remain standing for the reading of God's Word as we turn back to Matthew chapter 6. Our text this morning will be in verses 16 through 18. I'm going to begin back in verse 1 through verse 8, and then I'll skip to verse 16 through 18. It should be obvious why I do that, because we've been in a bit of a uh, parenthetical extended portion of the Lord's Prayer. But fasting is a part of the three practices that are mentioned here in our Christian walk. But they all are related uh, as we consider giving to the poor and those in need and praying and fasting. As we now take heed to the reading of God's Word, read with me beginning at verse 1. Take heed that ye do not your alms before men to be seen of them, Otherwise ye have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But when thou doest alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth, that thine alms may be in secret, and thy Father which sees in secret himself shall reward thee openly. And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. And when thou hast shut thy door, pray to the Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. But when ye pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be ye not therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. Verse 16, Moreover, when ye fast... Be not as the hypocrites of sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear unto men too fast. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou fastest, anoint thine head and wash thy face, that thou appear not unto men to fast, but unto thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father and Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, we now come to this, your holy, infallible, inerrant word, asking that you would show us the truth as it applies to our lives and that you would press it and weave it into the fabric of our hearts, that it would change us to be more like Jesus, and that good fruits would come from it, that our appetite for you would be increased, and that we might indeed taste, and that we might see that you are good. We ask that the Spirit would illuminate the text now and take this and make it the message from our God to us and make the application very specific to our minds, press it into our lives that we might be doers of the word and not hearers only. So expose us where we need to be exposed and drive us to our knees where we need to be driven because we are your people and we are the sheep of your pasture 
And we desire to delight in our great God. And so do this, we ask, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> if I have to continue drinking all of this to get through the message, <clears throat> rest assured it will be a short sermon. In Matthew 5, Jesus has been expounding a righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees. In all of chapter 5, he was focusing more on this ethical aspect of righteousness. And here in chapter 6, he begins to reveal a wrong kind of righteousness, or really it's the practice, the wrong kind of practice of righteousness. This, in chapter 6, he begins addressing practical piety. He opens this section with three types of our practical walk, our practical piety, which is true or should be true of every Christian. First of all, the giving of alms or giving to the poor and giving to those who are in need. Second, in this area of prayer, which he then took some time and expounded a a more lengthy portion on that that we just closed and finished. And now in this area of fasting, which is in many cases, in many ways, and in many people so little known. In each one of these, Jesus is showing a false piety of hypocrisy that was true of the scribes and Pharisees, and I dare say is from time to time true of even the people of God. It's true in my life. Hypocrisy is a word that comes from the word acting. And as we think about a hypocrite, he's one who is acting a part. He has to act somewhat differently than what he truly is. And that really is what hypocrisy is about. It's playing a part, playing a role, having a particular image of our religiosity, uh, while truly our heart is not really there. and really how easy it is to fall away from true piety into some form of pretense. And we are all prone to this very thing. And I trust that if we have fallen into a pretense or we've fallen into a rut where our life action is somewhat inconsistent with the true nature of our heart's appetite and delight... That the Spirit of God would press that and show us this day that we might repent and know truly the great joy of the glory and supremacy of God. As we come to this section on fasting, fasting is an implied Christian practice that should be properly understood and practiced to savor the goodness of God more fully. Now let's consider what he says here, because fasting, first of all, was presumed. When we come to this portion of the Scripture, it is quite assumed that God's people will fast and already have this practice going on in their lives. Fasting is, and we'll come back to this in a little more detail, it is a religious practice of withholding 
from yourself the greatest desires in life for a period of time in order to have more of the desire for God. And when we get to this portion of Jesus' sermon, He does not say, if you fast. He says, when you do. When you fast. And see, fasting should be a part of your Christian life. And yet, many Christians have never fasted. Many people have never understood this. And so if they don't understand it, they just don't do it. And never let your practice be limited by your understanding. But fasting has always been a part of Israel's life. In fact, they had an annual fast day on the Day of Atonement. Throughout their history, Jews even incorporated additional days of fasting. They incorporated voluntary fasting. They incorporated national fasting and corporate fasting for special days that were initiated to coupled with prayer for times of deliverance or times of penitence or times of celebration even as they consider the great things of which they long for. But by the time we get to Jesus' day, fasting had turned into a regular regiment among the Pharisees, and they fasted twice a day. It was Monday and Thursday. It was a, every two days a week. Now, the Bible does not command regular or specific fast days like this, but nonetheless, it still is a part of our Christian life and should be. So when Jesus addresses the subject, it's assumed that the practice of fasting will continue to go on. This was not ceremonial law. This was not something that was fulfilled in Jesus' earthly ministry. But it will go on in our own personal devotional lives in a voluntary manner. It will, there will be times of corporate fasting where the church is called to fast As we see later in Acts chapter 13, it was while the church there at Antioch was fasting and praying that the very first missionaries to the Gentile world, Paul and Barnabas, were set apart and confirmed by God and sent out by the church and sent out by the Holy Spirit. In the next chapter of Acts 14, we see that it was fasting for elders And it was with prayer and fasting that they appointed and anointed elders to lead the church of Christ. And throughout church history, fasting has been an important part of the religious life of the church and also part of one's personal devotion and personal prayer life. It was presumed. So the first application we ought to just pause and consider here this morning is If fasting has never been a part of your life, if it's never been a part of your devotional life, a part of your spiritual life, then I would encourage you to think on these things and put it into practice. Because Jesus assumes it's already going on in your life. Teach your children to fast. We've had corporate fast times that we've called in the past, and one of the questions is, what do you do with your children? Teach them to fast. 
Oh, but they have voracious appetites. Yes, and all the more reason to teach them to fast. Fast and pray as a family unit. Occasionally, the leadership of this church will call this church to fast and pray. Fasting should be a part of our regular lives, your family devotional life, and the life of the church. It's not if we fast, but when you fast, Jesus says. But secondly, let's look at the problem that Jesus was correcting here when they fast. The Pharisees had a show of their religious practices. When they fasted, they did it in such a way to ensure that people would be noticing that they're fasting. They disfigure their faces. They carry the sad countenance. They wanted to make sure that you knew that they were fasting. That you would consider how holy and spiritual they are because they were foregoing eating or something they delighted in order to be spiritual. They wanted you to know their personal piety. The problem with the Pharisaic fasting was the heart motive. See, it wasn't necessarily wrong for people to know that they were fasting. In fact, anybody that's done any fasting of any sort, you're not ever going to keep that just to yourself, particularly if you're married. Um, or in a family. Someone's going to notice that. It's not particularly, and that's not really what he's going after here, wrong if other people know you're fasting. In fact, and, and we knew that the church was fasting in Acts 13. In fact, the whole church was fasting, so it was a collective and corporate thing. And Acts 14, the same. And so there were even days of fasting. We've called fasting. It's not necessarily wrong for people to know you're fasting. But it's the same issue that we have in giving of alms and in our prayer life. Public giving and public prayer is not the issue. It's the motive. It's the motive. In 6.1 it says they are giving before men in order to be seen by men. They pray publicly in order to be heard and seen by men. That's the problem. It's the motive. It's not wrong when we come gathered in corporate prayer and men stand up and pray. It's not wrong for them to prepare prayers for us to be led by, which are spiritual and doctrinally good. It is wrong if they were to prepare such a prayer in order to be heard or seen of by men. The reason the Pharisees and the hypocrites give and pray and fast is to be recognized by men for their devotional piety. And this is more subtle and more dangerous than we might realize. And before you go pointing the finger at the Pharisee, this is a time where we need to examine our hearts. This is subtle and it's dangerous. Who hasn't felt how rewarding it can be to be admired for our discipline and our zeal and even our devotion and our good works and our sacrifice for the service of God. Who hasn't felt how rewarding that could be? 
In fact, this is a great reward among men. Few things feel more gratifying to the heart of fallen men than being made much of for our accomplishments, especially our moral and religious accomplishments. In fact, Jesus admitted it by way of implication. They have their reward. So there is reward in that. But this craving had infected the religious leaders of Jesus' day to such a great measure that he says later, then he said to them in his teaching, Beware of the scribes and the Pharisees who go around in long robes. Oops. Love greetings in the marketplaces, the best seats in the synagogues, and the best places at the feasts who devour widows' houses and for pretense make long prayers, they will receive a greater condemnation. They will receive their reward. But how strong is the love of the praise of man? You are prone to it. We all want to be made much of. We are people And we want people to admire us. We want people to see our accomplishments. We want people to pat us on the back and say, that's good. We want people to speak well of us. And as Christians, we really want that for our devotional piety. Jesus says, if if this is the reward you want from people, then you will get it. But that is all you're going to get. Now see, it's not just with prayer and almsgiving and fasting, but any one of our religious practices can degenerate into an activity for the wrong reasons. And I think we've all been guilty here. We are tempted to practice our piety and to do our religious Good things in order for men to see us. Sometimes it can be as simple and as subtle as going to church. Not to truly worship God and seeking for all of His worth, but to come so that others might see that you have attended. Perhaps it relieves your conscience a little to have to put that check mark out beside the church attendance thing so that you can... Have that checked off in your to-dos for the day and your conscience has a bit of a salve over it. Or perhaps you do your religious practice in order to be recognized in some way. If I preach with the hope that you will come up to me afterwards and tell me what a good message that was, if that's what drives me, if that's what motivates me onward to preach each week, then that's the very problem Jesus is addressing. Or, may I have a corollary to that, and I'll speak to my elder candidates. If you don't preach 
when God has called you to because of the fear that people will not applaud your sermon, then that's the same problem. If we do what we do, or we don't do what we're supposed to do because we want to be noticed of men, to be recognized in some way for it, we have the wrong motive. And it's dangerously subtle. If you minister in the wonderful gifts of music, and you do this week in and week out, not to savor and not to to get the most of the glory of God and to lead us into that joy, but you do it to be seen or heard. You do it for some reason other than what is pure. You've got your reward. And it's all you've got. Every one of us will fall prey to that if we are not on guard. Your Christian service, your evangelistic outreach, your ministry of even the gospel to someone else, the service that you do for the church, your giving of your tithes, whatever it is, be careful of the image Christianity. Be careful of the hypocrisy of fearing to appear less of a Christian than you really are. Be careful of that subtle and dangerous entrapment. Because that's exactly what Jesus is speaking on. Folks, what we have need of is for us just to be stripped and laid bare so people see us for who we are. But then we go into our closet and we cry out to God. And we get a hold of the throne of grace. And what we want there more than anything else is God himself. So why do we fast? You know, the first thing that we say, see in the scripture, it says we fast to be seen by God. We fast so that God would see our fasting. In fact, when we fast, we should do so very intentionally that God would see this. You're not showing anybody else, but it does tell us that when we fast to do it such a way that men won't know it, but you are doing it intentionally that God will, because there's something in that fasting that you want God to notice. You want something in that fasting for God to show you and bring to your notice. We want God to know we're fasting. Fasting is a very Godward and vertical act. And Jesus is testing our motive and our heart for why we do what we do in these religious practices of righteousness. 
Do you fast for God? Do you fast unto God? Do you fast to be seen of God alone? Because the essence of fasting is to temporarily to, to, to take and put aside your greatest desires, some of which are your very essential necessities of life, your greatest desires. Remember, it was a couple of weeks ago we talked about the process of temptation, and the process of temptation is when your desires jump out ahead of you and drag you along, and then they are enticed or seduced to fulfill themselves in ways that are unlawful or inappropriate. That's the process of temptation. But as we fast, we're laying aside those even good desires and even the necessities of life, like the desire for food and the desire for drink and those things by which we need to live. And for a time and a period... We set even those bare essentials of life of which we will crave and we will have a natural desire and an appetite for and a longing for. And we are to set those things aside in order to seek a greater desire that should be in our spirit and that is for God Himself. To seek and to savor God in all of His goodness and His fullness. See, fasting is about creating a greater appetite for God Himself. It's a replacement principle at work. You're putting down other appetites in order to have a better appetite for God. This is an essential aspect of our Christian lives. is to savor God. To taste and see that He is good. You know, when we're physically ill, we often lose our appetites. But you know, if you lose your appetite for food, there's, there, that's an unnatural thing. That's not healthy. That's not a good situation to be in for a long period of time. And if you go on and you don't eat, then you will eventually shrivel up and die. But when your health Physical health returns to you. Your your appetite returns. And so you then get back to a regular functioning in life. And yet the same is true for our spiritual life. Because when we don't have a hunger for God like we should, something is wrong. Your spiritual life is ill. Because the body and the spirit are so connected and interrelated... We sometimes need to forego our bodily needs and desires in order to seek and savor God Himself so that our spirit can be healed. Oh, Christian, if you're here today, what are your longings? What is your appetite for God? Is it vibrant and white hot as it should be? Is it grown lukewarm or cold? God's not pleased with lukewarmness, not half-heartedness. Fasting is about savoring the goodness of God. It is taking of Him and eating of Him. It is panting for Him. It is longing for Him. 
Think about all the things you long for in life, all the desires that you have, all the things that you have been consuming. John Piper had a good quote that I'd like to read on this very topic when he says, quote, but the danger is that all of our life, including your spiritual life, starts to be justified and understood simply on the horizontal level for the effects it can have because others see it happening. And so God subtly and slowly can become a secondary person in the living of our lives. We may think that He is important to us because all these things that we are doing are the kinds of things He wants us to do. But in fact, He Himself is falling out of the picture as the focus of it all. And this registers in the motives of the hearts so that we feel satisfied when others are watching, but we feel unmotivated if no one knows what we are doing. No one but God. Jesus is testing our hearts today. He is calling us toward a radical, vertical orientation with God. So when we fast, we are putting aside some of those other things and desires in our lives so that we want God, we want more of God, we desire more of Him, and we want to to feed upon Him and feast upon Him and relish His goodness. And perhaps today you're at a place in your spiritual life where your desires are waning and you're at a lull and you're lukewarm and you're just not white hot and you're here and there's so many other things that are clouding and crowding your appetite and suppressing your appetite for God. It might be that you need to fast this week. This is a check for us. Why are we doing what we're doing? Why did you show up today? What are we hoping to do? What is our motive in life for coming? What is our motive in life for sticking with it? What are we about? What is our delight? There's great promise here. Because not only when we fast, we do it that God would see us, but we also do it Because God will reward it. And he tells us that your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Now that doesn't always mean that he's going to give you all the benefits that you're praying for. In fact, that's not the primary thing at all. So what are the rewards for fasting? In the Old Testament, God rebuked the Jews for the wrong manner and the wrong motive in which they fast. They were trying to use fasting as some kind of meritorious exchange. I'm going to fast, Lord, for this, and you give me that. Like a mercenary kind of spirit where we're going to have a little agreement and we're going to exchange something with God. So I do this for you, you do this for me, Lord. Kind of like a bargaining chip. You don't bargain with God. This is the same thing that while we pray that James was talking about, you ask, but you don't receive because you're asking upon your own lust. You've forgotten about the glory and the supremacy of God. 
The reward in fasting is not first and foremost the benefits. It's not the gifts of that God that we desire. It is God Himself. The greatest blessing to ever have in your life is the is God. It is God. To have more of God. Have you ever been so worried about something in your life that you begin to pray that God would fix all of this that you're so consumed with and worried about? There have been many occasions like this in my life. You started off so focused on the problem. Oh God, I need you to deliver me. Save me from the trouble. Help me here. Give me this. Whatever it is. I'm so focused on the benefits that I'm asking for and the gifts that God will give by grace. But then as you dedicate yourself and you prayed and you soaked the Word in and you fasted, something beyond that happened. Something more transcendent. Your circumstances never changed, but now your perspective did, and you became more content, more settled, more trusting, more at peace with your circumstances because you had more awareness of God. You had more of an experiential knowledge of His sovereignty and His love, and you knew that He cared for you. You knew that He really loved you in an experiential way, and that He was all-powerful and could change anything that He wanted to for that very thing. But now, all of a sudden, you come into a perspective where you just release everything, and you say, God, show yourself. Show me more of your glory. Show me more of your power. You began to know that regardless of these circumstances, he wasn't going to let you go hungry and starve or lose your house or your car. Or even if you did, it was now okay because you have got God. And you know something better is in store. You've savored the goodness of God. See, the primary reward we get in fasting is greater faith in God, a greater sense of His presence. It's more of Him. And He comes to fill that longing appetite, as the psalmist would say, open my mouth wide and come and fill it. Because God is most glorified when we are most satisfied with Him. With Him. You need to ensure that you are loving your Heavenly Father more than the gifts He gives you in your life. When we nibble on the world and we fill our appetites on other matters and spiritual junk food and poison, it's going to make you sick. It's going to suppress your appetite. There may be some things in your life today that's suppressing your appetite. Your spiritual appetite for God. Some things that you're going to have to get out of your life in order to to relish and to savor the goodness of God. And so you might have to take a fast from these things. There may be certain kinds of 
music or entertainment, social media, technology, devices, whatever else you may be feeding yourself with in order to get back where you need to be, you might have to set those things aside and make sure your appetite is not for those things because they may be destroying your appetite for God Himself. And fast. Fast from those things in order to get your hands upon the horns of the altar and get a hold of God and to see His glory and His beauty and His compassion and His mercy His justice and His righteousness and all of who He is in your life. And all of the promises that He has given to you. And all of the life that He has promised and all that He is doing in your life. And sometimes you can't see clearly enough and you don't have a desire for Him enough because you have got so many other things that are cluttering and suppressing your appetite in order to get your appetite back where it needs to be and savor the sweetness and the delicacies of God Himself, you may need to fast. But another reward that is inseparable from God Himself is is realizing His supremacy in all things. Fasting is an intense form of praying. And when we seek God and we begin getting squared up with Him, we begin seeing more clearly the supremacy of Him. We begin seeing that Lord's Prayer more in its balance of praying first for His great name and for His wonderful eternal kingdom and for His will to be done here on earth as it's done perfectly in heaven. So when we fast, we are praying for the supremacy of God. That God would fill us. That God would conquer all the old bad habits and remove every obstacle that stands in the way of us savoring Him. We want our children serving God and savoring God. And thriving and feasting upon His goodness and His love. We want the lifeblood of Jesus Christ flowing through the veins of our children. We want God's churches to be full and growing in the knowledge and grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. We want the truth to go throughout all this world so that captives can be set free. We want the holiness of God to be expressed in a way that it just silences us all and we bow our knee before the great throne of God and say, woe is us. And then He comes and He touches our lips with the coal of the altar. We want and we pray that God will protect and provide His grace for that next generation who must rise up and stand in the gap in a perverse and wicked world. And see, when we fast and we pray for these very things that God is delighted to answer, 
because of His supremacy and His glory will be manifest in those answers, He rewards us in that very thing. It's the fasting and praying for God's name to be hallowed, His kingdom to grow, His will to be done, and this will give us, this will give us the greatest satisfaction when He answers that fasting and praying. So when we fast, and we should be fasting, we do so with the right motive to get more of God. Not to be seen of men. Not to have this spiritual image. Not to have this fakery or this acting the part out of someone that we're really not. Not trying to have people to think of us more highly than we really are. And not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. Not to put on a facade, not to put on a veneer. That's not it at all. In fact, that's hypocrisy. But it is really getting before God and crying out to Him, knowing He sees us in secret. He hears us in secret. He knows what we're doing in secret. And He will answer us and reward us with the very things for which we seek and the very appetite in which we delight. And see, the Spirit of God works this in every Christian. He does. And if you're a Christian and you've been changed and given that new heart, you truly have this going on in your life. But we sometimes cloud up and we crowd this and our appetites are suppressed and we get sick because we have eaten too much junk food, or we've eaten of the world, of the poison that Satan would love to have. You know, rat poison is about 98% good grain, but 2% arsenic, but it's the 2% that kills you. And so when Satan loves to cloak up things to delight for our appetite, to come and eat this, it may just be laced with arsenic, and that will kill you. Folks, when your appetite is on God Himself and to be seeing His glory manifest throughout all of the world, that is when we are most satisfied. That's when we will be full. And that's when we're going to want more. God sees your fasting and He will reward it. Let's pray. Our gracious Father in Heaven, We confess that we long to have a greater desire for you and how slack we have been in seeking you as we ought. We confess that we have not prayed with the intensity that we should and our fasting is not like it needs to be. And we pray that we would be led of your Spirit and we would desire and delight so much in you that we would be willing to set aside some of the bare essentials of life and some of our greatest cravings and longings so that we might have a greater desire for You. So come this day, Lord, as we open our mouths and feed us and cause us to taste our Lord Jesus Christ and see that He is good. And we pray these things in His strong name. Amen.